Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of Ladies Who Punt is brought to you by Inglis. Inglis has had over a century of turf champions go through their sales rings. And now with their pink bonus series, there has never been a better time for women to join in on the fun of racehorse ownership. That's right, Grace. With the bonus prize money up for grabs, the Pink Bonus Series is a great initiative to get more women involved in racing, making Inglis a fabulous partner to ladies who punt. We can't thank them enough for supporting our podcast and the representation of women in the racing media. Field is ready. They're racing in the Oaks. Hello and welcome back to Ladies Who Punt. We are the podcast that aims to decode the sport of horse racing one topic at a time. And my name is Fiona Blair and with me today is uh, nobody. (laughs) My usual co-host Grace Ramage is off having a lovely and well-deserved holiday in the UK. And so for the next six weeks, uh, you are stuck with just me. And what I'm going to be doing over these next six weeks is bringing you a series of interviews with different women in the racing industry each week. I'm really excited about this week's guest. This is a topic that Grace and I have wanted to decode for a really long time, but we've been finding it incredibly hard to find the right guest. There just doesn't seem to be many women in this space. And it's taken us like months to track down someone who we could interview. So I'm very happy today to bring you the topic of breaking and educating with our special guest, Shannon Betts. So why do we want to cover breaking and educating? Obviously, this is such an important part of a horse's racing career. We've done the yearling sales earlier in the year. And right now, all across the country, all those horses that have been through the yearling sales will have been to the breakers or will be heading to the breakers right now. This is a really busy time of year for our uh, breakers and educators. So I'm really stoked to be able to bring you this interview today and it's even more timely for our group of ladies who punt listeners who are in the deep field amorphous filly. This is a filly that we have a ladies who punt syndicate in who was purchased from the Sydney Classic sale in February. So she is currently at the breakers now. I think she might be, you know, she's at least halfway done, maybe a couple more weeks left. But today's interview will be uh, extra interesting to to those ladies or anyone who has purchased into a yearling from the sales and has wanted to know more about what happens during their education and breaking prep. However, before we go into that interview with Shannon, I just wanted to do a little bit of ladies who punt housekeeping so grace and i are not the best at remembering to do this each and every week but i'm going to do my best to try to make it a priority over the next few weeks so firstly just want to say thank you so much for tuning in if this is your first ladies who punt 
episode, welcome. We're very happy to have you here. And for those who are old and new, here are a few things that you can do to help support Grace and myself and the podcast, because we really want to get into as many ears as possible. And all of these things that you can do help the podcast grow and gain new listeners. So the first and most important thing that you can do is subscribe or follow the podcast where wherever you're listening, whether that's Apple or on Spotify. So what this does is it helps people find the podcast who have an interest in racing, which is a massive help to boosting our numbers. And guys, while you're there, just leave us a little review. We love to read the reviews that we have. Uh, It gives us such a boost. You know, it can be pretty lonely in the studio, especially today with just me. You know, sometimes it feels like we're not talking to anyone, but when we read those reviews, we go, yep, that's right. We have our audience. We have our community. That's why we do this. The second best way you can help us out and help grow our audience is to tell someone about the podcast. If you have a girlfriend who is interested in racing or is new to racing, let them know we exist. And the other thing you can do is just share us on your socials. That would be a massive help to us. Of course, you can follow us on socials. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search Ladies Who Punt and you should be able to find us. And the last thing I would really encourage you to do to support the podcast is to sign up for our weekly newsletter. This is just another way that we can share extra content with you guys, including tips, For weekend runners, we have our community black book up there, which is where we can keep an eye on the horses owned by our fellow community members. And this week, we actually have some extra special content because Grace is overseas in the UK. We're going to be sharing some of her exclusive Royal Ascot content with you guys on in the newsletter. So The easiest way to sign up for that is there will be a link in the show notes on this episode. So go to the show notes and click the newsletter sign up link. Guys, just doing even one of these things is such a huge help to us. But if you could take the time to do all of those steps, that would be really appreciated. And you know what? Let's just hit pause right now so you can go and do those things. And I'll be right here when you get back. Okay, so now that you've done all of those few things... Uh, and showing your support for Ladies Who Pump. Thank you very much. It is time to decode the topic of educating and breaking with our special guest, Shannon Beth. So have you had anything to drink? Yeah, but only a couple. And I ate a big meal. Okay, breathe into the device, please. One long, continuous breath. I also drank plenty of water. And I'm a pretty big guy as well. Okay, you've blown over 0.05, so I'm going to need you to step out of the car. I'm not going to lose my licence, am I? I didn't drink that much. Stop kidding yourself. If you drink, don't drive. A message from the TAC. Well, I'm so excited that today we are interviewing Shannon Betts from Emerin Park. Shannon... Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. And I guess the first thing I want to know is just a little bit more about yourself and your background. When I did a quick Google, I saw that you used to be a journalist. Um, So how did you come into the horse side of things from journalism? Oh, look, you have done some digging around. Uh, That was quite a while ago. We're going back, uh, oh gosh, probably 19, nearly 20 years, I think. So that's my age. Uh, 
Look, I was very heavily involved in media. Um, when I finished, I was with Channel 7 um, after working previously with ABC and Sky um, and fell pregnant with my first son. So um, media is not always entirely conducive to uh, motherhood. You are required to sort of be able to pack up and leave and um, dart off anywhere at a moment's notice. So um, for me, I wanted something that um, I could be at home a lot more for and also that actually really um, was in, heavily involved in my passion, which has always been horses. So uh, I used to be a, a rider of a different pursuit, so I was sort of in performance horses, um, which show jumping, dressage, eventing, that sort of line. Uh, but as I started to investigate more about the racing industry, discovered I had a, a real passion for racehorses and thoroughbreds are truly the most spectacular animals. So uh, it's pretty hard not to fall in love with them. So I did it as a bit of a sideline gig, always thinking that I would uh, be heading back to media as soon as my kids were old enough and I've just never gone back to my proper job. <laughs> That's so great. I'm still running around in the back facing horses. <laughs> so it's sort of snowball. Yeah, right, right. And so you are the owner of Emerin Park, which is a farm that specialises in educating, pre-training and rehabilitation, I saw on, on your website. Correct. But you're also the head yes. of uh, education and pre-training at My Runners and now TRL as well. How did you get involved with, with that crew? Because a few of our ladies will be um, part of the My Runners and TRL team. Oh, look, I was really honoured to be um, invited into that organisation in its inception. Uh, I got to know um, the gentlemen who were probably the Brains Trust behind it, uh, Mick Malone and Steve Brown, both from Kitchwin Hills. Uh, they, I used to do a lot of and still do a lot of um, their breaking rehab and pre-training. We work very closely. We share a lot of clients together and basically started off just through that relationship, being invited into the My Runners world and just thought the, the whole system was amazing. Uh, the concept was uh, one that I really felt I wanted to get behind um, Bringing people from all walks of life into racing uh, was something that I was quite passionate about. Um, it's such a fantastic sport and they are such incredible animals to follow their progress and watch what they can achieve. Uh, it was something that I, f I thought we can reach out to the broader community um, and teach people a little bit more about racing was something I was very keen on. So I was happy to put my hand up for that one. Yeah, that's so great to see you a part of that organisation, Shannon. And uh, yeah, I think a lot of our ladies have found the, their experience with My Runners and TRL really positive. And I think it, you're right, it's a great way that we can reach uh, a, a broader audience with the sport. And I think for women, it, it's a much more sort of simple and user-friendly way to engage in, in horse ownership, which I think is really encouraging just to dip their toes in initially and then, you know, become more involved from there. So today we want to understand the process of educating. And this is actually a really timely episode for us because we 
have a Ladies Who Punt syndicate in a filly by Deb Field, and she's currently at the breakers at the moment. So this is really relevant to uh, the group of 30 women who are who are in this horse and anyone else who's bought into a horse from the yearling sales. So to start really broadly, what skills will a young thoroughbred learn for the first time when they are having their education prep? So it a lot does depend initially on what they've had before they even actually arrive to me. If they're coming from the sales, a lot of them have already had some really great early handling. The, the studs are very good at yielding prep um, and they invest a lot of time in making sure that these horses are comfortable and relaxed on the ground, um, that they're, they're used to being walked and led um, and happy in boxes, getting on and off trucks and happy being vetted and doing all those things. So if they've had those yearling preps, the ball's already rolling and um, they're feeling very comfortable about, you know, the interaction that we're asking from them initially. Uh, If they're coming um, straight from the studs or um, homebreds that haven't had that significant yearling prep, we tend to go right back to basics. Um, the, the biggest thing for us is making sure that they're comfortable and they're relaxed and they're not feeling intimidated. If you're starting on that sort of level playing field and the horse has a good uh, groundwork to begin with, uh, you've already got horses that are, are happy learning and they're engaged. Uh, and it's exactly the same with, you know, teaching young children. If they're, uh, if they're enjoying the process, Uh, and you've got their mind and they're not feeling frightened, then we're off to a great start. So what we're after in those early stages is that connection and what we call sometimes, um, you'll hear it called join up. Uh, It's where the horse is actually looking at coming to meet with you and they're actually wanting to be um, in your orbit, so to speak. They're, They're looking to seek out your attention. And when they're doing that, they're focused on you, um, that's that's where we like to start. So we like to really start with the mind, make sure that the horses are, are switched on and, um, you know, enjoying the process. And then from there, what are the, the main skills that, like what is the, the bigger purpose, overarching purpose of sending them to be educated? Okay, so then after you've got, that initial handling, uh, we then need to start teaching them how to be racehorses. So educating racehorses is very different to educating uh, performance horses, um, Western horses, all those different uh, purposes that you can be looking to teach your horse. We really need to focus on these are going to be racehorses. So the, the first thing that we do is probably what you do with any horse to start with is getting them comfortable with a bridle on, getting them comfortable um, working in a round yard. So our breakers will be all over them and they'll be sliding up over the side of them. We'll do what a lot of what we call desensitising. So we'll have plastic bags off the end of sticks that we're flapping around and making a racket. So it's just to get them acclimatised to noise, um, strange objects moving, So we want them to start feeling comfortable in probably slightly uncomfortable environments. You don't want them to be frightened, but you want them to know, okay, well, this is something different and I don't need to be fearful of this. So that sort of desensitising process is what we really focus on initially. 
um, making sure they're comfortable with the bridle coming on and off. Uh, then we move over, obviously, to them being comfortable with a saddle sitting on their back. Um, but before we do that, the riders are sliding up and over them. You know, we have towels over them. Uh, so we do lots of things to make them feel like that um, something resting over their wither and over their back is not something that they need to be frightened of. And then I guess uh, understanding the timeline of all of this would be really helpful. So for a horse that comes in to be educated, how long does it generally take for them to go through your process? So there is a sort of a bit of a... Um, uh, point in the industry where we look at a rough four weeks once again it does make a difference whether they've had a sale prep Um, but if you're looking at roughly four weeks some horses I'll get to three weeks and this is enough this horse has done everything we need them to do they're flying through or they're starting to tire a little bit Um, we very much in our organization believe very strongly on letting the horse call the shots So we look at what they're telling us. Um, Generally, some of them will stretch out to six weeks. We just need to go slower. This horse is um, a little bit more fractious or they're just finding that we need to just, just the same with children, need to move slower. So we really let them dictate how quickly we go. But generally a ballpark, I like to have them, we tend to have them on farm for the first three weeks or so and on farm they will be in the round yard to begin with they'll graduate out to our arena area which is a much sort of you know bigger bigger area but still enclosed from there they'll start ticking around with a mate on the grass track on farm Uh, we'll walk them over the treadmills um, so that they're starting I find treadmills is fantastic for breaking in and educating young horses Um, they get used to those confined spaces and they do it with us right there with them so they're feeling comfortable and secure. They'll also go into our water treadmill, wow. which most of them love. <laughs> That's playtime. They absolutely love it, splashing and carrying on. So, But it's all just exposure, and it's exposure in the right environment. So we're giving them something new, something that they've never seen before, but we're doing it while we're standing with them, reassuring them, patting them, making sure that they're really comfortable. They'll move up to sort of after they've ticked around the grass tracks, they'll go through the gates on farm, just walking through in and out, stopping and having a look around. Um, depending on the horse, we might give them a little snack while they're in there so that they're also feeling that, oh, this oh, is quite this, nice. I, I don't mind getting in here. Treats. Um, and then once I'm ready that we've seen that they've done everything on farm that um, we want them doing. They'll come into our track stables, which are in a Wyong race course. Uh, they'll go through the pool there. They'll go through the gates. They'll work up a little bit more in company. And if at that point I'm going, we're really happy with what you've done, they'll either, depending if they're showing that they're an earlier type and we need to start looking at pushing through a little bit quicker, um, All the trainers that we work with, thankfully, are very, very receptive to this horse is ready, this horse is not ready. So, you know, even if they've got in their mind this is an early horse and we really, really want to go, uh, I work with really great trainers that I can say this is where we all want to go but the horse is not ready. So they're all very good at um, putting up with me going, no, you can't have it, yes, you can. (laughs) So then... uh, 
they'll either come back to the farm or they'll go into the trainers for the first little look around. That's quite incredible, like how many things they learn and get comfortable with, like not just doing once, but doing enough times that they're comfortable with in like such a short amount of time. Like yeah. it's it's really incredible how they're able to handle all of that and is obviously a credit to to your staff and, and to your processes. I'm lucky I've got very good team and they are like sponges and they this is the time when it's great to actually um, you know it is much harder taking a two-year-old you know itching up to late two-year-old out of the paddock and starting from scratch. So um, if if they're getting used to all these different environments and being exposed to a lot of things, they tend to handle it really well. As long as it's the right environment and it's calm yes. and you Because relaxed. I guess we're not just teaching them the skills that they're going to need to be racehorses, but we're really giving them the confidence to handle any new situation and say, I've done new things before and it's turned out fine, so I'm happy to trust you know, the human that's with me. Like, it seems like overarching sort of confidence, but knowledge that, yep, I can do new things and I can go to new places and it's all going to be okay. And that's generally the philosophy of our education system is making sure that, you know, first race day, going out to trial, um, you know, crowds, all those sorts of things. These are new experiences and we are asking a lot of these young horses. So it's really important to remember that um, these big environments can be intimidating and if we expose them to as much beforehand, then they're more likely to adjust and cope with, well, exactly as you said, this is new, but I've done lots of new things lately and I'm okay with it. So they tend to be a lot calmer going through that. We have a questioner from one of our listeners called Claire, and it's a really great question she asked. And I'm, you know, a bit uh, shocked I didn't think of it myself. When you are breaking these horses in, do you see any sort of uh, attitudes or behaviours that are very um, consistent across certain stallions? Like are, are sires stamping their progeny with certain attitudes or behaviours? <laughs> yes. yes, yes, you definitely. I won't, I won't attribute certain traits to certain stallions because I'd get in a lot of trouble if I did that. But, um, so some are good and some are bad. Uh, yes, exactly, exactly. You, you can see inherent characteristics that, you know, you think, wow, the last three horses I did from this stallion all presented in a similar way. It's not always the case. Um, you, you see such a variety of horses. But, yes, you can see certain um, ongoing characteristics. Um, you can see certain confirmation traits. You can, you know, the, the way they handle things, they're stronger in the back end or the front end. Um, they're a little bit unsettled in the gates. Um, some don't like the water. So, yes, you, you definitely can. And... Um, Sometimes you can pick the stallion without even knowing. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I wish you could give us some names, but I'm not yeah. going to push you. Um, so <laughs> I want to talk more specifically around the gates education because I feel like it's such a specific skill to teach a horse to load. And it was really interesting hearing you talk about, you know, how the treadmills are so beneficial 
to the education process and it, it makes so much sense in terms of putting them into that confined space, you know, before they uh, go for any sort of gates education. But how do we teach horses to jump and run? Like that seems like such a specific skill. What is the process behind them gaining that skill? So as a breaker, as a breaker and educator, um, we tend to, in initially, you don't want really young horses coming out in the early stages too sharp. You can fry them. It can be too much. Um, so we start so slowly. So in the very early phases, you know, you just, after they finish their track, going around their track and doing their track education, we'll just walk them through. On their way back to the stables, they have to walk through the gates. So um, they know they're going back to the stables, back to their paddock, back to feed, so they're generally happy heading in that direction. And but before you get there, you need, to, you need to stroll through the gates. So in those very early stages, it's just that walking. Then we'll just ask them to stand in there for a while. Then we'll ask them to trot out. Then when we're ready, what we're asking them to do is sit back a little bit and then canter out of the gates. By the time they finish their education in their first initial break-in, you just want them cantering out comfortably. You know, that, that's all you're after in that first stage. Nice and relaxed, the gates are a happy place. If you ask for too much more before then, then you can cause the gates to be an environment that's stressful and that's the last thing you want. Once you start progressing through and then they're coming in for their what we call their pre-training prep, their first sort of educational prep, then we ask a bit more of them. Um, a lot of it's to do some horses instinctively. They naturally, the gates open and they just want to jump out. Uh, so some horses do it themselves. Others, you you know, the rider will actually be sort of preparing them. They'll be sort of sitting them back a little bit and they'll be like getting them ready, talking to them, letting them know, bang that noise, we're off. So a lot of it is body language, um, the noise that you that they're hearing. So those noise are trigger signals, the banging of the gates open, um, the rider sitting on them, preparing them, letting them know something's about to happen. So we're talking them up a little bit. We're getting them ready. We're shortening the rain, letting them know, right, we're about to do something. And they tend to get on their toes a little bit and they read the signs, they read the signals. So, but once again, slowly, really slowly. So starting nice and gently, you just want them to be really comfortable in that environment. That is such a great um, explanation of that process, Shannon. Thank you for that because, you know, as someone who's never ridden, you know, a, a, a young horse, like I can't imagine how much work goes into teaching them such an important skill, but you're right that like making them associate the jumping action with the sound of the gates, like that's such a great uh way to describe it and I love the how you use um trigger trigger noises like so once they've got that down packed it's just practicing isn't it getting getting good at that skill and doing it a bit yeah. better every time and exactly and as they start to feel more comfortable and we gradually ask them to come out a bit quicker um then you can ask them to really get up and get ready and you prepare them and yeah yeah right let's go we're out sort of thing and that's a bit more of a chase up and that's when you're starting to teach them you want them sharp and you want them out. So, but by then, they're knowing what the gates are. They're knowing what this process is. They know what they're about to do. 
Um, and it really is just enhancing those skills and asking a bit more of them and asking them to come out a little bit quicker. And um, so much of that down is to talented writers. The writers do so much of the work in that time. They're on them. They're talking to them. They're preparing them. They're, they're letting them know. They can, you, you know, the horses can feel it in their body language as well. There's so much that we communicate and translate to them just by how we are on the horse with what we're doing, um, our energy, you can feel the reins, they can feel how they're moving up top and they know, they get they get to know those feelings. In terms of your riders, like I guess that's a, a really big part of the whole process. Is being a breaker rider a really specific set of skills? You know, like we have our track work riders that ride the horses once they are, you know, full-blown athletes and, and ready to, to start their racing preparations, but... Describe the qualities of someone who is a good breaker rider. For me, when I'm, I'm looking um, at people to work in the education team, it's, for me, very much so, it is about gentle, calm handling. That is absolute key. If you've got someone that's um, anxious or uh, a bit forceful with the horses, the horses feed off that and... Uh, I just find that that's a disaster in the making. You just you just don't want that. So you're looking for people that are very, very confident, very happy to sit on things that are bouncing <laughs> around because these babies bounce around all over the place. So <laughs> you're after someone with a good seat, soft hands, soft, gentle hands is probably the biggest thing. But that calm, confident demeanour is what makes great educators they they don't get rattled or phased by a horse that's a bit more challenging or that's you know throwing a um a few curveballs at them they can just roll with it and not not become rattled because the the babies feel that very quickly soft hands is something we hear a lot of in racing and and in riding could you explain why that's so important and and how that translates to the horse, like why having soft hands is important for the horse? If you're grip, generally gripping and hanging on to a horse, you're, yep, sorry, on the reins. Quite often you'll find a nervous rider can do that as well. Um, they are using the reins as their balance and their confidence. Um what it can do, if you're really hanging on to the mouth, you can throw the horse's balance off as well. You tend to lean one side or the other uh, and you're preventing the horse's natural movement and gait throwing through. Sometimes, you, sometimes you've got to hold on like buggery, but if, if they've got their head down and going for it. But um, generally you don't want someone that's, and it's uncomfortable for the horses, you don't want someone reefing the mouth, pulling the bit in and out of the horse's mouth um, you want nice, soft, still hands. They make the horse relax. They allow the horse to stride through properly. Um, they allow the horse to be very relaxed, what we call relaxed through the bridle. And then you're going to get the best out of the horse. So you, if, if you've sort of got that tension and gripping through the reins, the horse feels that and it affects what they do. Yeah, right. So my last question specifically about the education process is what is your favourite part of it? That's a really tricky question. I don't know if I've ever been asked. My fa- obviously, my favourite part is to see them going fast. <laughs> the finish post. <laughs> Winning the Melbourne Cup. That was probably my favourite part. Um, 
Oh, look, I think um, I love those first days. I do really love those first days where you, you can see a little bit of what you've got. You see that the, you can see the apprehension in their eye. Uh, you see them relax and you see them learn to trust you. Um, I think they're probably the, the nicest few days when it's, you know, you see that connection between the educator and the horse. Um, it's also, I, I love watching them in the pool. I think they they can be very entertaining in the pool. <laughs> well, babies, they're, they're, it's never a dull day when it's swim time at kindergarten. So um, that's always fun. But I'd say probably those first couple of days are always uh, just meeting the new horse, meeting the personality, seeing who's in there and um, what they're willing to do. And I guess, you know, talking about... Uh seeing them go past the winning post, who would be some of the graduates from Emeryn Farm that we would know of? Oh, look, we've been really blessed to have quite a few amazing horses come through the farm. Um, probably our Melbourne Cup, Val and Declare, was, was a highlight. Um, Divine Prophet, Caulfield Guineas winner. So um, we've, oh, God, I, I'll get in trouble if I don't name everyone. <laughs> there are a couple. Um, you know, yeah, we've had lots of uh, amazing, you know, Magic Million success and success in the nursery and, um, you know, it's nice to see those early horses going out and doing things as well. Um, so we're very fortunate, um, I think, because we also do the pre-training and the rehab and spelling that, um, you know, we get to spend a lot of time with um, some fantastic horses. So um, we're very blessed in that regard. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with me today. Uh, it's been a really great chat. I've learned a lot. Um, yeah, so just thank you so much for your time and for coming on the podcast. Pleasure. Love, love the sound of the podcast. I think it's a great idea. Okay, let's just talk about how good that interview was. You know, I had my list of questions for Shannon ready to go and she was so good at explaining things that questions were just coming to me left, right and centre. That was such a fantastic chat. I'm so pleased that we've been able to bring you this topic. As I said at the start of the episode, it's been really hard to find someone to chat to and I really don't think we could have found anyone better than Shannon. She was fabulous and I hope you enjoyed that interview. I loved how she spoke about being gentle with the horses and really looking at the horses and letting them tell us when they're ready to go to the next step in the education and and when maybe they need to be you know put back out into the paddock and backed off a bit. I think that's really incredible and also loved the bit uh, when we were talking about training horses to jump out of the gates and creating that sound trigger of the gates opening and and that noise communicating to the horse that it's time to jump out of the gates and and go for a bit of a run and it just highlights how skilled the people are who work in this area and and their understanding of the psychology of of horses and and these animals that they're working with I just I just found that really fascinating and I hope you did too well guys that is it I hope you've enjoyed my first ever solo episode. It's a little bit daunting to do this, but, uh, you know, I know you guys have my back and I'm really keen to continue bringing you content while Grace is on holiday. 
So next week I will have another guest on for you and we are going to be tackling the topic of millinery. I hope I've said that right. Millinery? (laughs) Or if you're like my husband and don't know what that means, uh, hats. (laughs) So we will have a guest on to talk us through the different types of millinery there are because Something that uh, came up in conversation while Grace was getting ready to head over to Ascot is that at Ascot, you have to wear certain types of hats into different types of enclosures. Like there's some sort of like hat hierarchy. And this just blew my mind because I don't know anything really about fashion and um, certainly not about, you know, the different class systems in fashion, apparently. So uh, I'm really keen to get an expert on to talk me through, you know, what kind of millinery I should wear to what kind of events because there's nothing worse than turning up to you know a social event and you're not aware of a dress code that is there and you just feel silly so I'm keen to get some more info on this because you know spring carnival's coming up and it's a really great time to brush up on our millinery knowledge but That's all I have for you today, guys. So I will catch you next week. Make sure you uh, do your ladies who punt housekeeping, showing your support in all of these different ways, which just take a little bit of time. We are so thankful for your continued support. And I will catch you next week. Okay, you've blown over 0.05, so I'm going to need you to step out of the car. But I didn't drink that much. And I ate a big meal. Stop kidding yourself. If you drink, don't drive. I can't lose my license. A message from the TAC. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.